that along with it being developmentally sequenced, it's just nice to do the where are we at right now? What are maybe the next steps? But like, look, we can look three years down the road and this is what we should be doing. And I think that's helpful for both teachers and parents. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. As an itinerant TBI, I relied heavily on a tool called the Oregon Project, which originated in the 70s through the work of Mark Moskowitz. As it's in the midst of an update, I thought it would be a good time to highlight this resource. Here to share more is April Love from the Southern Oregon Educational Service District. Hello. Hello. Sorry, I was already. I. I'm, it makes me feel better. You're laughing. All right, April. Okay. The first part was just to talk about yourself. So go ahead and introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background. All right. So um, I went to NIU for my um, master's in visual impairments in early 2000s. Um, and then after that, I got my first job at Washington State School for the Blind in the outreach department. And um, I was there for about four years. Um, and then after that, I moved to Southern Oregon and I work for Southern Oregon Education Service District now. And that was in 2010. And I am also the department chair for our program. And in the aspect of the Oregon Project, I really didn't get involved with that until maybe 2016 when we started discussing um, a new edition. Why, why don't you describe for us what it is and sort of how it came to be? Okay, so um, the Oregon Project is um, an assessment and curriculum support for um, to be used with children that are birth to six years old um, who are blind or low vision. And it's the most widely used tool for that population. Um, it has different domain areas. So we also call them developmental areas. So it has uh, cognitive and language, social, fine motor, gross motor, vision, compensatory, and self-help. And so um, the way that it all became something um, was in the late 1970s, actually. And at that point, there was all anecdotal information on how to work with young babies or children with visual impairments. So um, the regional program teachers, so we in Oregon have regional programs throughout the state and it groups low incidence professionals together. So there's usually, I don't know, like in our program, there's eight TVIs. There could be five in another region or 10 in, you know, a more populated area. And so when you get that many professionals together, it's a really great way to collaborate and you're drawing from everybody's experiences. So they all came together and said, we need this tool and they used it, they based it off of the Portage Guide to Early Education, which was a different early intervention tool that was not made to be used with kids with visual impairments. So they kind of took that information and tweaked it for um, the population that they were wanting to use it with. So um, within the Oregon Project, the great thing is you have the skills inventory, which is the assessment, 
bunch of checklists. Mm -hmm. But then you have teaching activities, which are forgotten often. (laughs) And um, there's reference section. There's also checklists. Um, One of my favorites is there's uh, the preschool checklist and the school readiness checklist. Mm -hmm. So when you have a student who's transitioning into preschool, it takes skills from all different domains and says, these are the skills that we think a preschooler would need. And so it's like a real shortened down version that you can get information about, are they ready for preschool? Or here's some things we should work on that last year in early intervention to get them ready for preschool. And then the same with school age. So Now, I know um, when I was working as an itinerant, sometimes I would use it with students that were older if they had multiple disabilities. Is that something that it's meant for, or is that kind of just a a hack that us teachers use? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would say it's a little of both, uh, you know, honestly, um, because it has been successfully used um, with students with multiple disabilities. As I've been working on the Oregon Project um, and on this new update that we are doing, I've learned so much about the whole thing. And in it has this really great introduction, if anyone would like to read information on it. But in that introduction, it talks about that, um, yes, this tool can be used for kids who are older, um, but it was not intended for that population of kids with multiple disabilities. It was meant for kids with no additional disabilities or maybe an additional disability that's not very severe. Mm. And so um, one way that um, it couldn't, you know, or that it might not work for kids that um, do have multiple disabilities that are older is it might not break the steps or the assessment down into small enough steps. Mm. And so then they're not showing progress. And that I think for families is not helpful. It's not helpful for a team. And so, um, that's one way that it, it is not the best tool to use. And then also when you're using the Oregon Project, it is all, it has ages in there. So it has birth to one, one to two, two to three. And when you're having these conversations with families, I mean, you have to be sensitive to the fact that maybe developmentally their child is in that two to three year age range, but they might be 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And for some families, that's not, they don't, you know, it's not, um, you have to be very sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. So I never thought about assessments not breaking it down far enough until I used the communication matrix, which breaks yeah. this down a ton. Right. And right. It was the first time I realized what a difference that makes looking at a child's progress when you can pull out those small steps. So I think that's a great point to make about this one that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah, yeah. And because I do think it is so nice for TVIs or teams to have some kind of developmental checklist. Like Mm -hmm. that's really helpful. But if a student is not, you know, if they're gaining one skill out of the 20 in that age range every year, that's really hard for families. Like, oh, great. Whereas if you just took four of those skills and you, you could even take four of those skills from the Oregon Project and break them down as a team so that you could show those incremental steps, you know? So that's a way that you could tweak it a little bit to make it more um, effective for that population. So what edition are you all publishing right now? What edition is it on? We are on the sixth edition, and it was released um, in 2007, I believe. You know, I know it's something that when I was an itinerant, I was using it all the time, and a lot of other TVIs do. What are some of the ways that you've used it yourself or seen it be used? I have seen it being used 
in all sorts of ways. (laughs) I bet. Which I think is good. But I think one thing that people should keep in mind is that all skills don't have to be assessed. I think when people get the assessment, they're like, oh man, we got to go through all eight domain areas. We got to make sure we go through all of them. And that's not how you have to do it. You know, like it is not a tool that has to be used in a very specific way. And so for one student, you might you know, let's say they have only vision services and they don't have any other professionals working with them, no OT, no PT, then that's a student where I might do all of it to make sure, you know, that they are getting all the services that they need and I'm catching any discrepancies in the skills that they have. Um, But for another student, maybe I'm only assessing vision or maybe I'm only doing compensatory, you know? I don't think there's any right way and wrong way to use it. I would say the majority of people listening probably are like, oh, I love the Oregon Project. I've used the skills inventory so many times. And they don't realize that big, gigantic binder you also get (laughs) has some really great information in it, which I will admit, I would say most people who are in our program right now, so that work for Southern Oregon ESD, did not know what the binder included. Because either they worked for a different program before and they were like, oh, here's your you know, Oregon project, and they were given the skills inventory. And so I think making sure that you know, as you assess skills in the skills inventory, you can then go to the binder. And let's say it's cognitive skill 50. And you can go in there and it will give you a teaching activity of how to teach that skill, which, at least for me, is really helpful. So that I'm not thinking, oh, how can I tell a parent how to teach their kid how to do this? You know, so it just gives you the answers. It's funny that you say that about the binder, because even (laughs) when I was talking to you about doing this podcast, I was only thinking about the skills inventory. (laughs) Then then I was sort of looking at my bookshelf in my office one day and I was like, oh, yeah, that giant binder that's sitting there. It is that giant. binder. we do forget about it. Yes, it has become like a joke that (laughs) you know, within our program, like, well, you know, there's also the binder, like everybody (laughs) should remember there's a binder. So I, you know, I think that when we get a part of a tool, sometimes we don't realize there could be more to it, you know? So if you're just handed the skills inventory by someone, you're like, oh, I mean, just the skills inventory alone is so incredibly helpful that, you know, at times people might not think like, wow, I wish there was more to this. Right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're in the middle of an update to, I guess, what will be the seventh edition. So um, what are some of the changes that we should expect to see? The new edition will be web-based. So it's going to have fillable forms for the skills inventory. And it will also have the opportunity that you can print out a skills inventory, fill it out the same way you always have with paper and pencil, and then you could go back and fill it in later, you know, so if you're Mm -hmm. going to a family's house, which happens often in early intervention, you might be going to a family's house, you're not going to have Wi Fi. And so you can print them off, do the interview with the parent, and then come back and fill it in um, at your office later. I think right now, it would be super helpful because most of our visits right now are virtual with early intervention. And um, we've had people on our team using it and they can do the interview and they can share their screen and show parents and do the, you know, do the assessment that way. So that has been really great. Um, Once you do the fillable skills inventory, there are um, charts and graphs that are dynamic and will change based on what your answers are. So 
it will all of those um the CD-ROM that you get right now right um is actually built into the website so that you can um see over time the skills the student has mm. learned or you can look at how much they've mastered um you can also um we have it set up that you can copy that graph and paste it into one of your reports one great thing because the poor binder has been neglected for <laughs> Since the 1970s, no, um, <laughs> the teaching activities are now. So you have your um, skills inventory that you're filling out and saying, yes, they've mastered this skill. But then you can go in and say, oh, it looks like, you know, the skill cognitive 2.2 is not mastered. And you can check a box next to it is how we have it set right now. And then you can print off that teaching activity in a PDF for a family. Mm. And so it's kind of a seamless way of building in those teaching activities so that people realize that they are super helpful and they can print like three teaching activities in a PDF, you know, for a family and say, Hey, this is what, you know, some things you could work on until our next visit next month in the skills inventory, the skills are all numbered. So when you are looking at compensatory, you might have 120 skills. And so when you say, you know, skill, like compensatory 85, literally no idea what age the kids should be if they're doing that. So we have changed it now where our numbering matches ages. So just making it easier. So then when people are looking at skills, it's not just like this random list that you have no idea what age range. Another thing we decided to do, so we used to have just birth to one Mm -hmm. was an entire (laughs) category. So we still have the birth to one, but we've separated it in birth to six months and then six to 12 months so that because it's such a huge range. Did uh, much of the content change within the teaching strategies and the skills inventory or is a lot of that still the same? This update is very different than most of the other new additions that have come out. Usually those were, it was a lot of content updates. Mm. This time we did not update much of the content. We updated verbiage and or we took out skills such as using a tape recorder, figured that wasn't needed anymore. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but overall, we have not updated the content very much. The new numbering is a big one. And then also we have moved skills around. But I would say the majority of it has not changed too much. So in as I've shared with you before, I think, you know, in Texas, we're looking for more ways to improve identification of babies and toddlers who yeah. are visually impaired. So have you seen the Oregon Project help with this in other states at all? It's so hard because there's so many efforts for, you know, all the child finds, you know, um, for kids with visual impairments. But I think the way that um, I have seen it um, impact our local region um, is that as TVIs, we are using this very specialized assessment And usually we are part of a team. So we might have OT or PT or we have an early intervention teacher working with us. And so they will see this tool being used um, with a student with visual impairments. Mm -hmm. And I think when that happens, it it allows those other professionals to um, identify certain indicators that they might be seeing in other students that they work with. So we've had OTs and PTs contact us asking if they can get a copy of the Oregon project because mm-hmm. they've seen it used and they think it would be helpful in understanding students with visual impairments because they are helping identify kids because they, you know, they might have them on their caseload mm. before we are ever involved as a TVI. 
do you do you know if there's any other tool like this even in the field if if somebody was using something comparable do you know what that might even be I don't know of anything comparable other than um, the new Texas two steps mm. I will say that is you know that is mobility specific but mm-hmm. it is set up pretty similar and I think it goes into those you know like really helps break yeah. down the skills for uh, O&M specialists which is great it is a tool that is made specifically for students that we are working with. So there's no, we're not adapting. Like you said, we're not having to like, Oh, well that, that one doesn't work because you know, they want them to identify something visually, you know? And so I think that there, as far as I've seen, hasn't been another tool in our field, but I also think TVIs are so great at using their resources that Mm -hmm. when we all find one that works, we're like done check. I'm going to move on. Like, (laughs) Nobody's out there going, well, I think I could do that a little better. Yeah. <laughs> because we're just so excited that it even exists, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so, yeah. And but everybody think- has, like, nobody has extra time. So no. that's the no. hardest thing is, you know, we don't have a lot of time to research other options. Right. So Right. Exactly. And I think it just, you know, the Oregon Project is so great. I think the birth to three field within visual impairments, you know, has really had some growth in the past, you know, five years or 10 years. I think the great thing about the Oregon Project is it assists TVIs who are not specialists in that area. And I think that is really helpful um, for them to be effective in their assessments and their instruction. And so, um, yeah, I just think that um, that along with it being developmentally sequenced, it's just nice to do the, where are we at right now? What are maybe the next steps? But like, look, we can look three years down the road and this is what we should be doing. And I think that's helpful for both teachers and parents. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you a sort of unrelated question, but uh, <laughs> no. so when I, you know, I was thinking earlier about um, how you all gained some um, unfortunate fame this summer when yes. you, you know, the Southern Oregon ESD lost, right? All your vision department materials were lost to a wildfire this summer. Yeah, yeah. It was our main office where we stored most of our stuff. So we had other kind of satellite offices, but this was the main office where we stored everything. So yeah, it was um, right around Labor Day um, that it happened. Yeah. But, you know, it's just we have been so grateful for the field and how many people have sent donations Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, Um, we've gotten boxes and boxes of materials and we're using them with kids now. You know, it was such a, it it was, it was already COVID, you know, so we all know how hard our jobs were at that point. And then this happened and we all just kind of sat there like, huh, (laughs) I don't know what happens now. Yeah. Can't (laughs) even imagine. Yeah. And so, um, when you start thinking about all the little tiny things that you use with, um, students, yeah, It was really hard to try and think of how to rebuild that. Mm-hmm. But I think in our field, we all come from such different perspectives that people sending stuff were like, I love this yeah. and I want you guys to have it, you know? And so I think mm-hmm. that helped us rebuild kind of the um, supplies and materials that we used to have. And um, our um, textbook and media center here was great. They kind of just cleaned off their shelves and were like, we will get you any replacements we can, you know? Um, And so um, regional programs throughout Oregon donated stuff. So 
Right now we have a wonderful pod sitting in the parking lot <laughs> yeah. that we all visit occasionally to go grab some CVI materials or, you know, yeah. some Braille books. Um, and then, you know, whenever, I, I don't know how that's going to work long-term, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to build or any of that, you know, it's um, whenever that happens, then we'll have a spot for all of that stuff. But until then it's accessible and we're able to use it with students. So we are forever grateful, for sure, to the field. Well, is there anything else you want to add? Any promos or plugs? And we can put any links in the episode description. The sixth edition is still being sold. Okay. And I will say, um, I guess a promo or a plug could be that our anticipated uh, release date will be summer of 2021. Mm-hmm. We still need to go. We are on the cusp of doing some beta testing. So barring any major (laughs) um, beta testing, you know, issues, then that is the plan for now is to release in the summer. So that I'm very exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, I just can't imagine how handy it's going to be to have a web based version in that seventh edition. That's just, um, well, and I've used it with quite a few students and families and I, you know, I've used it, um, the paper copy, you know, mm-hmm. I've printed it out and done it that way. I've used a hotspot on my phone to, you know, use internet on my computer and done it in real time. And I think one of the best things about the seventh edition is you do your assessment. And if you do it, you know, online, you mm-hmm. do your assessment and you, you are, when you're done interviewing the family, you're done. You don't have to go up and add, you don't have to go back and add it up yeah. at your desk. Yeah. You don't have to input information to then have the CD make you some graphs like it's done for you. And I feel like it's such a huge time saver. And I don't know, as TVIs, I think anything that can save us time is well worth it. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Deborah Sewell is our Curriculum Director at TSBBI. In a recent conversation, she shared how much we use the Oregon Project. I'm going to go ahead and let her explain more. I just wanted to share a little bit of my history with the Oregon Project, and I do have a bit of a history with the Oregon Project. Years ago, um, when I had an early childhood program in Austin Independent School District, I had little three to six-year-old visually impaired and uh, students with blindness, and it was one of my go-to evaluations and curriculum for those for those little kiddos in my in my early childhood program, and more recently. Um, We have two publications that we have used uh, the Oregon Project as references for. In 2016, we published a book called uh, Expanded Core Curriculum for Students with Visual Impairment Resources for Evaluation and Instruction. It was compiled by Ann Adkins in our outreach program and I. In this publication, the Expanded Core Curriculum Resources for Evaluation and Instruction, we used the Oregon Project, we referenced the Oregon Project in every single section for the Expanded Core Curriculum. It was, again, one of our favorites uh, that we wanted to include in that publication. 
In 2019, uh, we published um, an O&M curriculum for students functioning at birth to five years old. It's called Texas Two Steps, which stands for Successfully Teaching Early Purposeful Skills. And this group, it was a, a group from around the state that uh, got together and wrote the evaluation and curriculum for these kiddos functioning uh, from birth to five years old. And we used um, the gross motor section, the fine motor section, the compensatory section, and the cognitive section, mostly um, for for helping us establish the objectives that we used in in the evaluation piece for Texas Two Steps. The other things that we have used or the Oregon Project for and, and referred to the Oregon Project for are two different projects that we're working on right now. One is called Literacy for Little Ones. It's a project uh, that addresses the components of literacy for early tactile learners that are approximately three to six year olds. Sometimes we have um, younger kids in our training sessions. It's a training for uh, families and for for the teachers that work with these kids. So for that project, we always discuss the, the sections of um, the Oregon project that relates to early tactile learners, which is gross motor section, the fine motor section, cognitive compensatory, the language and the social sections. So so we, we really refer to that a lot and what we what we uh, request the teachers to do when we're doing that training is look for activity ideas in those sections that were that I just mentioned. Uh, the other project that we're working on that we that we like to refer to the Oregon project for is the progression of tactile learning. It's a project that addresses really early tactile skills um, particularly from birth to, to pre-braille and it we're making a checklist that uh, provides a way for the staff and families that are working with these kiddos to create a tactile learning profile and it's mostly for those kids who are non-traditional learners that might be struggling even if they're older they could be struggling with the tactile skills so again we we really relied on the gross motor fine motor compensatory uh, cognitive and social sections for for that project as we're making that checklist and one other thing I wanted to mention was several years ago, we decided that our elementary teachers could benefit from looking at and using the evaluation that is included in the Oregon project. So so we, we have to submit a report to our Texas Education Agency every year on progress that our kids have made. And, and the Oregon project was um, chosen as one of those evaluations that they used at that time. So that is my long history with the Oregon Project, and I support it greatly. Be sure to check out the episode description for links to the curriculum resources mentioned by Deborah and information about how to order the Oregon Project. Easily identifying and tracking the skills our students or children have and where they should go next is so important for education. Thanks to April for sharing with us a tool that does just that. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.